So our reading tonight is from Matthew chapter 21, starting at verse 33. Listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and moved to another place. When the harvest time approached, he sent his servants to the tenants to collect his fruit. The tenants seized his servants. They beat one, killed another, and stoned a third. Then he sent other servants to them, more than the first time, and the tenants treated them the same way. Last of all, he sent his son to them. They will respect my son, he said. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to each other, this is the heir. Come, let's kill him and take his inheritance. So they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to these tenants? He will bring those wretches to a wretched end, they replied, and he will rent the vineyard to other tenants who will give him his share of the crop at harvest time. Jesus said to them, have you never read it in the scriptures? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this and it is marvellous in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce its fruit. Anyone who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. Anyone on whom it falls will be crushed. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard Jesus' parables, they knew he was talking about them. They looked for a way to arrest him, but they were afraid of the crowd because the people held that he was a prophet. All right, good evening everyone. My name is Tim. I'm the kids minister here at Sorrow Bible. Uh, it's great to be with you, I'm a little bit out of my natural habitat. Normally we're around on Sunday mornings, but it's great to uh, come and be here on Saturday and sharing with everyone, and it's great to be online with you guys as well. Uh, keep your Bibles open uh, on your lap, on your phone. Uh, we're going to be looking at this parable and the surrounding narrative to it as we go on uh, this evening. Uh, we're coming right towards the end of a series that we've been doing in Matthew's Gospel. Uh, if you've been following along with us, we've been reading pretty much from start to finish the whole Gospel through our daily devotions and our community groups, and then picking up on significant passages on the way through as we uh, gather together on the weekends. Uh, and as Jai said, uh, tomorrow is Palm Sunday. It's the remembrance of Jesus' entry into Jerusalem. Uh, sitting on a donkey, uh, which happens actually just before this parable in this chapter, chapter 21. And of course, next weekend, we're celebrating Easter, Good Friday, where we remember Jesus crucified, and Resurrection Sunday, when we remember and celebrate his rising from the dead. Uh, and so the passage tonight sits between these two events. Jesus has entered Jerusalem, and he's on his way, and he's in his last week of his life before crucifixion. Um, what we're going to see in this passage is the interaction that Jesus has with the Jewish leaders uh, in Jerusalem. Uh, but before that, we're going to watch a car ad. Did you know that Norway sells way more electric? Did you know that Norway sells way more electric cars per capita than the U.S.? Norway. <laughs> well, I won't stand for it. 
mind. With GM's new Ultium battery, we're gonna crush those losers. Crush them! Let's go, America! Keenan, Norway's out EVing us. Wait, what's this? Oh, it's my daughter's birthday. She's really a pirate. I don't lately. care. Grab an EV, meet me in Norway. Okay, can I say goodbye to my family? Nope. All right. Ah! Uh, Aquafina, sorry to disturb you, but Norway's beating us at EVs. Nuh-uh. Uh-huh. Nuh-uh. Uh-huh. Meet me there in an hour. Can I ride with you? No! GM's Ultium battery is made for all types of vehicles, so soon everyone can drive an EV. Oh! Why don't we all just go together? No one will. He's probably flying private. Hey, Norway, listen up, you fish-loving... Oh, this place is adorable. Damn it. Where are you guys? We're in Finland. Where are you? I'm in Norway. Norway? You're in Sweden. This is one of the big uh, Super Bowl ads. Every time a Super Bowl, uh, companies pay millions of dollars per second of advertising just to get up on the big screen. And this is uh, one, obviously, for General Motors selling their electric vehicles. Uh, their job is to get you convinced that you should buy an electric vehicle as well. Uh, and sitting behind this ad, uh, of course, is there's a bit of an assumption that you are concerned about global warming. Uh, if you want to do something about climate change, then maybe you might think about making some changes in your private life. Uh, and perhaps an electric vehicle might be one change that you can make. Um, but it does so uh, in quite a you know, fun, jovial kind of way. Uh, but of course, General Motors, Will Ferrell, they're not the only voices that are concerned about global warming and climate change. Uh, we've had voices a number of years ago now. Uh, Al Gore had his movie, The Inconvenient Truth. More recently, you've got Greta Thunberg, her advocacy and her famous how dare you speech to the UN. These are the voices that are kind of championing the fight against climate change, but they're doing it in very different ways. The General Motors approach is to use hope, optimism, this friendly competition between countries, humour, to, to give us a real feel-good invitation into joining the action against global warming. Al Gore, Greta Thunberg, they're using words of, wo of warning, words of judgment, inconvenient truths, a general, we're all doomed unless we act kind of message, message, with an impassioned plea that particularly those in power act. Now, this sermon is not about global warming or climate change or our Christian responsibility to the environment. Uh, this sermon is about Jesus' parable to Jerusalem in the week of his death. But the reason we've watched that ad and the reason I've highlighted those two approaches is because they're two approaches that we also see in the ministry of Jesus. There are times when Jesus is using a calm, inviting language. You can almost imagine a bit of a smile on his face when he says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. The invitation to the banquet is open to all who hear it. God loved the people of this world so much that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. There is a hope, there is an optimism 
There's this open-handed invitation to come. Come and join God's king in God's kingdom. And we love that message, don't we? It is a good message. It's a nice message. It's a gentle message. It's one that we can feel good about. It's one that translates well as we try and chat with our neighbours and our friends and our families, those who are not yet Christian. It's a generous invitation to come, check out Jesus. I have a problem tonight, and that is that this parable is not one of those messages. The parable we're looking at tonight is a warning parable. It's primarily spoken to the proud leaders in Jerusalem, the people who were comfortable in their perceived goodness. They knew who they were. They knew the kind of life that God wanted them to live, and they thought they lived a good life. They knew that they were better than the sinners around them. They knew their Bible. They knew more about the world. They were self-made, self-secure, self-righteous individuals, and they had no place for a ragamuffin peasant preacher from Nazareth, Nazareth of all places, to tell them what they should do. And so Jesus speaks to them a word of warning, a word of judgment, a word of incoming doom. But before we go any further, I'd love you to think about what your experiences are with the message of Jesus. To think about, look back on your life as a Christian or your life amongst Christians or at different churches, which of those voices has been more prominent to you? The generous, open-handed, gentle, persuasive, come and join the king in his kingdom? Or have you been more hearing the judgment, doom and gloom, hellfire and brimstone type messages? Or do you feel that you've got a bit of a balance between the two in your experience? I'm going to give you 60 seconds to talk with the person next to you about which of those, or maybe both a combination, you have had experience with as you think back about your experience with Christians, churches, here and, and elsewhere as well. 60 seconds. Go. I have no idea if that was 60 seconds. I wasn't counting. Um, who, quick show of hands, who feels that they predominantly heard the positive, generous invitation message in their experience? Quite a few hands. Okay. Who feels that they predominantly heard the negative, doom and gloom word of judgment? A few people. Okay. Who feels that they kind of feel they've got a bit of a healthy balance between the two? Bit of a show of hands as well? Okay, interesting. Um, let's get back to the text. Let's have a look at what Jesus himself is teaching in this particular parable of Matthew. And again, as I've already highlighted, this is not the only thing that Jesus says, but this is our text for tonight. So we need to do justice to the text. We need to see what he is saying here in this parable. Uh, the tension between Jesus and the Jewish leaders has been building for quite a long time. But it really comes to a head in this chapter as Jesus enters into Jerusalem. If you just flick back a little bit on your page or on your scroll, you'll see that at the start of this chapter, we've got that scene where Jesus enters Jerusalem, riding on a donkey that his disciples have commandeered from some poor fellow inside. Uh, and a very large crowd, in verse 8, spread out their cloaks and palm branches to welcome Jesus riding into the city. And the crowds are shouting out, Hosanna to the son of David. 
Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. These are all positive endorsements of Jesus from the average pleb on the street. But we see the tension already starts to build in verse 10 when the whole city is stirred and starts asking, who is this? Which, as an aside, is the most important question any of us can wrestle with. Who is this? Who is Jesus? But we're getting ahead of ourselves. Things really blow up in verse 12 when Jesus enters the temple. This is the most significant building in Jerusalem. This is the place where you go to offer sacrifices to God, to pray to him, to hear the words of the priests, and Jesus causes chaos. He's chucking over tables. He's throwing around bird cages. He's generally just causing quite a stir. And then almost as outrageously, the blind and the lame are coming to Jesus for healing. Can you believe it? Those people, those sick, filthy, unemployed, good-for-nothings, are coming to this man to be healed and made well. And then just to cap it off, have you seen, seen and heard what the children are saying? The children, they're joining in calling out praises to Jesus as well. Hosanna, salvation to the son of David. It's outrageous. And the leaders tell Jesus so in verse 16. Do you hear what these children are saying? And Jesus says, yes. Yes, I absolutely hear them. I hear and I see the blind and the lame and the children. I see them. I hear them. They are the ones coming to me to be healed. They are the ones who are coming to me to see salvation in action. And of course they are. Because this has always been the way of the kingdom. And then he quotes Psalm 118 just to prove it. It is from the lips of children and infants that you, O Lord, have called forth praise. And so the tension keeps building. And it leads to this awkward confrontation where the leaders ask Jesus, whose authority are you doing all this in? You're preaching, you're teaching, you're healing, you're chucking things around in the temple. And whose authority? And then Jesus masterfully turns it all back on them, gets them all tying themselves in knots due to their own self-importance. And then comes the clincher, verse 31. Truly, I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John, that's John the Baptist, came to show you the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes, they did. And even after you saw that, you did not repent. These self-made, self-important, self-secure, self-righteous leaders, so confident in their own right standing in their community, their own right standing in front of God, are told that they are a long way away from the kingdom of God. Have you ever been humbled like that? It's hard to take, isn't it? When we're so confident in our own understanding of a situation, just to be shown that we're wrong. It happened to me this morning, actually. Um, the last week and a bit, We've had this weird chirping noise in our bedroom. But this chirping noise that a dead smoke detector makes, but it's definitely not our smoke detectors. 100% confident it's not our smoke detectors. 
Uh, but we live in the apartments across the road here. There are speaker systems in the roof that you know, blurt out the fire evacuation and those kind of things. And it sounded, like, to me, absolutely it's coming from there. So I put in a maintenance request, get a text back, hey, happy to come and check it out. Um, can you send me a video of what you think it is? I'm like, absolutely. So I sent a video of it, caught the cheap, the chirp, uh, sent it to him. And he, uh, the guy, fiery guy, he messages back, he goes, yeah, uh, you sure it's not a smoke detector? It sure sounds like a smoke detector. I'm like, dude, I am confident. I've pulled the smoke detectors apart, I've pulled their batteries out, and the, the chirping is not even anywhere near the smoke detectors. It is absolutely not coming from the smoke detectors. He's like, okay, yeah, yeah, cool. So anyway, this morning, two fireys turn up, uh, like engineer fireys, um, and they, they pull apart the speaker system. It's got it hanging from the roof, and they're hearing the chirping noise, and it's not that, and they're, they're looking, they're pulling apart the smoke detectors. Yeah, it's definitely not that either. And the four of us, Roz, myself, and these two electricians, we're kind of standing in our cramped little hallway trying to listen out, and there it is. It's still going on. And one of them goes, you got any electronics in that cupboard of yours? Uh, and I'm like, no, I don't have any old electronics lying around. He goes, are you sure you don't have any electronics lying around? I'm like, yeah, no, 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 I've just got this, this bag, and it's just got some old um, extension leads and a couple of power packs and uh, some dead remotes and, and an old smoke detector. <laughs> Sorry about wasting your time. Thanks for coming out. It was a very humbling experience. And that was just about the case of the mysterious chirping noise. Imagine being wrong about your standing before God. Imagine being so confident in your own goodness, your own self-made, self-important, self-secure identity, only to have it pointed out that that actually doesn't put you on the right side of God. It'd be hard to take, wouldn't it? And then Jesus reads, tells this parable just to hammer the point. We're going to reread it. It'll come up on the screen again. But from verse 33, Jesus tells him this parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, dug a wine press, built a watchtower. And then he rented out that vineyard to some farmers and moved to another place. And when the harvest time approached, he sent his servants to the tenant to collect his fruit. The tenant seized his servants. They beat one, killed another, stoned a third. And they sent other servants to them, more than the first time. And the servants treated them in the same way. Last of all, he sent his son to them. Well, they'll respect my son, he said. But when the tenant saw the son, they said to each other, this is the heir. Come on, let's kill him. Take his inheritance. So they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Do you get it? The tenants were so confident that they had it sorted. So confident. So confident that they had done well. They had cared for this crop. They had grown these grapes. They had harvested, making some of the wine, sell some of the fresh produce. They had done well for themselves. And when the servant comes in to remind them you realise this isn't yours, right? You do realise you need to give this back to the owner. The tenants think, rubbish. We've done this work. We've done well. This might as well be ours. How dare you tell us what to do? And even when the son of the owner comes, they shout back at him, right, right, 
have you got to tell us what to do? And they take him outside the vineyard and they kill him. What have the tenants forgotten? It's not their vineyard. It was never their vineyard. The vineyard was on loan. Yeah, they had responsibilities. Yes, they seemingly did quite well for themselves, but it's not theirs. The Jewish leaders needed to be reminded that the land of Israel and the people of Israel were not theirs. The kingdom of God, God's good plan for salvation for all nations, it wasn't theirs. They had no right to it. It was on loan. And now the son of the owner had come. But they had no respect for him. And in just a few days' time, they were going to hand him over to be killed. Now, what's this got to do with us here in Kirawe in, in 2021? In some ways, not a lot. There's not a lot that we can directly relate to our circumstances. Uh, we are not the nation of Israel. We are not the inherited leaders of God's historic descendants from Abraham. That's not our situation. But if we dig a little bit deeper into why the leaders were acting this way, we see that there's a sin of pride And the sin of pride is just as relevant today as it was in the first century AD. Just scratch a little bit below the surface of the Jewish leader's particular context. And we see that this self-made, self-secure, self-confident, self-righteous attitude is the cause of their rejection of Jesus. Now we sit here in a Western nation, in Australia, in the Southern Shire of all places. There are a lot of temptations towards pride. Generally speaking, we're pretty healthy. We're pretty wealthy. Generally speaking, we've got good standards of living, good education, good healthcare, good employment prospects. For many of us, it's easy to think that we're doing pretty well for ourselves. Thank you very much. And when the message of Jesus comes, some ragamuffin peasant preacher from Nazareth, Nazareth, it's easy to disregard what he has to say and keep living our own lives. Thank you very much. And those of us who are Christians are not off the hook. Jesus is calling us to a life of radical obedience, radical self-sacrifice, radical dependence on him and him alone for our confidence, our purpose, our security. But you know what? My life's pretty good, thanks, Jesus. It's, It's really lovely having you on call, if I need, but... I'm not really needing to depend on you for my daily bread. Thanks, mate. Jesus' parable here is a word of warning to those of us who are comfortable, to those of us who are getting by just fine, for those of us who are good people of right standing in our community, in our friends, our neighbours. I'm pretty confident that if I stood in front of God right now, he'd be pretty stoked with me too. But we need to beware. Our life isn't actually our own. Whether we realise it or not, the owner of the vineyard is coming. And he will claim what is rightfully his. And if we think we can stand on our own merits in front of the owner of the vineyard, and we can show off our houses, our careers, our families, our righteous life, and say, hey, look, God, look what I've done. Now let me into your kingdom we are sadly mistaken. 
But of course, there's always hope. There is always hope. The twist in Jesus' parable is that though the tenants killed the son, the actual son, Jesus Christ, the creator and sustainer of the universe, yes, he was killed. We'll remember that on Friday. But he did not stay dead. He was rejected by many. And those who rejected him would be crushed. But there were those who recognised him for who he was. He saw them. The blind, the lame. Sorry. The tax collectors, the prostitutes, the children, the broken, the disenfranchised. Those who realised that they had nothing to show. Nothing to prove. The only hope they had was Jesus. And I know that there are some here tonight for whom that is true. There are those in our church who are broken, sad, destitute, sick, unemployed, homeless, undervalued by the world, unloved by those closest to them. And if that's you tonight, thank you. Thank you for showing the rest of us what it's like to enter the kingdom of God. Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Truly, I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. It's not a humorous, light, feel-good, easy parable, is it? But sometimes we don't need light. Sometimes we need to be warned. And because of Jesus, we are never without hope. We are not doomed to reject Jesus. We can accept him. We can listen to him. We can know him, love him, obey him. If only we would turn to him. Here's a couple of questions to take into our dinner time and the rest of your week. Question number one. Where are you tempted towards pride or self-reliance, self-sufficiency? Where are the areas of your life that you don't need Jesus? Thank you very much. You've got it sorted just fine by yourself. Question two, who is in your life? Who is at this church who is desperately clinging to Jesus? Who are the literal, perhaps metaphorical, blind, lame, tax collectors, prostitutes, children that you can learn from? Learn what it's like to enter the kingdom of heaven. Let me pray.
Lord Jesus, we have nothing that we can offer you. Rescue us from our false sense of pride. Lead us into desperate dependence on you and radical obedience to your kingdom. Amen.